Bee Therapy, conversations about bees with Patrice Newell and Danny Lloyd Pritchard. Today, we're going to start off with a quiz. We're going to talk about a very important book about trees and all things to do with honey. We're going to be, have recipes, pollen, and pollen even in food. But Danny, let's start with our quiz question. Sure. So we know that bees are vegetarian. The question is, where do they get their protein from? Good question. I'm already thinking. An important book that came into the bee space in Australia in 2019. I call it the Somerville book, but it's got a technical name, Honey and Pollen Flora of Southeastern Australia. Now, I was pretty excited about this book when I was, you know, we'd been talked about for quite some time, took years to put together. Uh, And then when I got it, I sort of had shoulder ache when I got home because it weighs 3.2 kg. So I'm thinking, wow, that is a very big book to be lugging around when you're thinking about plants. Tell me, Danny, you have this book too. I do. I love this book, Patrice. It's, it's my Bible. So yes, as you said, it weighs over three, three kilograms. It's 680 pages. It has over 520 species described in this book. So these are plant profiles that are bee food plants. So when you look at this book, you'll be able to go through the main families of plants in Australia. It's broken into the main groups of your eucalypts, so the trees, the weeds, the crops, the herbs, and all of the plants that are listed in this book have got definite quality to the nutritional value for bees. You know, you often meet people and they say, oh, I really want to do something for the bees. I want to help the bees. Maybe this is the book that person should have. Because not everybody's going to become a beekeeper, but lots of people want to support bees. Mm. And therefore, we know that lots of plants bees actually don't go to. But everything in this book has something for a bee. But tell me, what was the first thing you did when you got the book and you opened it? First thing I did was to have a look at the stars. So this is a little bit different to some of the other books that were put out previous to this one relating to honey and pollen flora for bees in that a rating system has been created. And when you just want to get a quick idea of how good this plant might be for my bees, you look at the star rating. So the more stars, the better the quality. And the quality is rated on not just the nectar production, but also the quality of the pollen that's produced from those plants. So some plants will have copious amounts of nectar, producing a fabulous honey crop for the beekeeper, though they may not produce a great deal of pollen. And other plants, it's more about the pollen and the rich nutritional value that that can provide to your bees. So I look at the star rating, and then I looked at the map to find out where are these plants growing? Okay, I... I practically did the same thing but I was really disappointed because you couldn't open up two pages and see all the five star all the three star all the two star I wanted to I wanted a list of just tell me what the five stars are but you've got to go through the whole book to find out what the five star plants are and I felt that the five star plants uh, lent towards the professional beekeeper so there is a general rule of thumb 
I actually don't remember it right now, perhaps you do, on what is considered to be good quality pollen uh, protein level in the pollen. Yeah, so the the crude protein is the level that they measure Mm. and generally they say above 28%, Mm. 28% and higher is good quality pollen, especially if you're looking at, say, queen bee breeding. You really need good quality pollen because the pollen contains not just protein, I think we've just answered our quid quiz question, question here, but anyway, it also contains fats, it contains vitamins, amino acids, and it's all of those factors which, you know, create the nutritional value, but not all pollens have all of the amino acids. So yes, you need to look at what the bees are feeding on and you need to consider what the pollens contain to make sure that you're getting a full mix of everything that they need. So one of the things that I found to be quite disappointing with the star rating was the eucalyptus were dominant. So eucalyptus crebra, which is ironbark, of which I have a stack on the farm. However, um, they so rarely flower. So I, even though that species was, would be, you know, got a five star, it's not a giver of nectar that often. No. So there was a, a quite, um, I suppose, a, an unusual interpretation on why you'd give it a five star. Uh, I felt there wasn't enough attention to weeds. Patrice, there is in the book, Against Every Plant, you can actually see the flowering times of the plant. I disputed a lot of them. Yeah, because... <laughs> I thought, no, that's not quite right. It will differ. This book covers yeah. a range from Queensland all the way down through to Tasmania. The east coast, so the main beekeeping region of Australia is covered and the main beekeeping plants for commercial beekeepers. So you were right. It may not appeal to the recreational backyard beekeeper as such. We may have one or two plants in our parklands nearby. But if you're a commercial beekeeper wanting to chase, chase the honey flows, this book has really valuable information for you. But you do need to be aware of the phenology of the plants that you're chasing. So, yes, you can look at the indicator in the books. You can see the main flowering month or months. But it's not going to tell you all the time at what cycle. Is it every two years, three years, five years, 25 years? When are you going to get that flow? So that comes down to local knowledge. That comes down to historical knowledge from commercial beekeepers that are generational beekeepers a lot of the time. They've gained that from their fathers, their grandfathers, their great-grandfathers. And that's priceless information. So this book cannot you know, evolve and it cannot disclose everything that beekeepers know, but it's an indicator. That's one of the things I find that every beekeeper, particularly every new budding beekeeper, has to has to find a beekeeping friend. You need every beekeeper needs a bee buddy. And because of that, you will be able to learn more by sharing that conversation about your hive. For instance, and it did get a mention in this book, Verbena Veneriensis. Now that is a weed. A lot of people hate that weed. You can still buy it in some nurseries. I have never, ever, ever seen a bee on it, ever. And every time I see a clump of it anywhere on the roadside, I rush over to have a look when it's in full flower. I think it got two stars in the book. The other one, mint weed. Well, for cattle producers, they absolutely loathe that plant. That got a two-star mention, and you know that was pretty cool. The, my favourite little sub comment that I didn't know about was. When bees work buckwheat, it's meant to make make the bees grumpy. And I thought, 
I wonder if that means when we eat buckwheat honey, we get grumpy. The only way you'll know is to try, Patrice. <laughs> have you ever ha- have you ever had pure buckwheat honey? I, I have, and it's a really dark honey. And I find buckwheat an interesting plant for bees because the bees will only work it in the morning. So it regu- like it releases its nectar in the morning, and quite often you'll see buckwheat planted with sunflowers because sunflowers release their pollen in the afternoon. So you get this beautiful combination and a nice diversity of pollen and nectar coming in. But yes, there's other plants that are known to create the grumpy bees. It's not just buckwheat. There's also the citrus and there's also spotted gums. So yes, you have to look at that. Well, I think I can say with confidence that I do not get grumpy when I eat citrus honey. So can I assume I would not get grumpy if I consumed buckwheat honey. You can assume that. But if you were a bee, think like a bee. You've woken up in the morning, you can smell that delicious orange blossom. The citrus flowers are blooming. The nectaries are releasing that beautiful nectar, enticing the bees to come to the flowers and pollinate them. You go in, you start feasting on it, and then all of a sudden the flower switches off that nectar supply. You are going to be grumpy because the citrus flower and the citrus nectar contains caffeine. I'm going to feed you up on coffee for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then I'm just going to cut that off. How do you feel? I get the picture here. <laughs> I get the picture here. We've got a little bit off topic here, Danny, because we're talking about Somerville's book. What do you reckon? Should every beekeeper have this book? I uh, say yes. Okay. I, I give it out of four, 3.5. Okay, I give it three maybe 2.53. I have been a little bit upset about the weight, a little bit waste of space. It's expensive, you know, send it around for a a ring around for some donations, $175 and it weighs the 3.2. It's not something you've got in your car with you generally. It's sitting on your kitchen table to look at every day. Okay. What about honey and eating it? Yes, please. I am so keen to hear your salad dressing recipe. Well, we don't always want to eat something sweet, but sometimes savoury dishes need that little bit of sweetness. And once I started putting um, putting honey in salad dressing, because a lot of people put sugar in salad dressings, and certainly when you read the one, the bought ones have sugar in them, once you put honey in it, it absolutely improves the flavour. I like using small jars, say mustard jars, and I don't make a large amount of salad dressing. I make a little bit of salad dressing and change it a little bit each time. But you put the vinegar in first and then you put the honey in and then you shake it up so that the vinegar and the honey blend easily, the acid and the honey. And then extra virgin olive oil, the best you have, and salt and pepper and mustard and then because there's so many variations in the vinegar the mustard and the olive oil you can get a variation and then of course there's all the variations in the honey that we can blend but I tend to use the regular jar I've got sitting around you know I don't usually seek out my best drop of the season what about you you I'm the same I don't when it comes to salad dressings, I think you've got such a complex mix of, mix of flavours that the honey's there, it's quite subtle. It's just that sweetness and undertone that comes through. I'm looking more for that acid 
explosion, the saltiness, and then the freshness of the salad that I mix it with. So one of my favorite recipes at the moment, a salad salad recipe, is just a broccoli salad. So I mix broccoli with slithered almonds, roasted. And what some, about cooked broccoli or? No, raw broccoli, raw broccoli. Chopped up fine. Yeah, super fine. Throw it in a blender if you've got one. Yeah, Throw yeah. in some cranberries. Eat it with a spoon. Yes, small pieces so you can scoop it up with a spoon. Yeah. So cranberries, almonds, raw broccoli, mixed all together and then toss through that exact dressing that you just shared. Mm. It explodes in your mouth. The flavour is incredible. Delicious. Okay. But why wouldn't you cook that broccoli and get the roasted flavour of the broccoli in there? Too? I'm too lazy. <laughs> okay. We were talking a little bit earlier too about pollen being added to food. I know pollen as an ingredient, a cooking ingredient, sort of did the rounds a bit a few years ago and it's coming back in fashion again. Do you actually ever use pollen from your beehives in a recipe? I've never used it personally, although I have collected pollen from my beehives out of curiosity. I'm fascinated by pollen. And when you do fit a pollen trap to one of your hives in spring, I time it. There's there's a lot of techniques here to think about, and it's worth another discussion later on about the importance of pollen in beehives. But when it comes to collecting the pollen, you can purchase pollen traps and you can fit them to your hive. And generally for a few hours each day in spring, for maybe a week or so, I'll close the pollen trap up and it forces the bees, the foragers that are returning to the hive, to crawl through these little grates. And as they crawl through, they have to squeeze their bodies through and it knocks off the little pollen balls that the bees are bringing back to the hive. So any beekeeper would have seen this. But if you're not a beekeeper, you're a bee lover. I absolutely advise you to spend a bit of time and watch bees on flowers to see what they're doing with the pollen. It covers their bodies, so all their hairs get covered in pollen. They scrape it down and they push it into these little baskets on their back legs. And you'll see these bright balls of pollen on the back legs of the bees and off they fly back to the hive. So that's what the pollen traps are designed to do, is to collect that fresh pollen that the bees have just... (laughs) I've seen videos of them and I know when they... I've seen the first one in a bee shop, but there's something about stealing the pollen of the bees that I have found really problematic. I've never done it. I've never put a, I have to borrow yours and give it a go if I feel I can steal the bees' pollen. So that is a, quite a confronting thing. However, if you were going to eat pollen, you'd want it to be natural pollen and you'd like to know where the pollen came from. I think so, you're right. you know, just buying pollen off the shelf, I, I could never do that. I've never bought it. I have. I did buy pollen, but it was from Jarrah forests in Western Australia. So I'm quite confident that those bees haven't been exposed to any agricultural chemicals on the pollen. I'd like to know that the pollen I'm collecting and eating is as pure as possible. Mm. And then I also want to be careful that I don't mix too many pollens because pollen's, pollen is an allergen. We know a lot of people are sensitive to pollens in springtime. So if you are going to consume pollen, I wouldn't advise you to do it if you have any allergies to bee products at all. I I couldn't agree with you. And that was one of the weirdest things that I found when we moved to the farm. Philip, my husband, he probably doesn't want me to tell this story, but he got very bad allergies in spring. Really so bad. Like naked, on the floor, welts all over him, just eyes weeping. That's a lot of information. (laughs) very miserable days, you know, very miserable not being able to go outside. 
so it was only two years into living at the farm that I got the bees. And then once we started eating our own honey, completely gone. So I became a, um, a, a true believer in having, if you have allergies, have your own honey from your area is certainly advantageous. You've seen it. With I've your own seen eyes, it firsthand, it's, it's this worked for you. Transformation, and certainly that's what a lot of naturopaths advocate: is to try and consume your local honey wherever possible, because you will get minute amount of pollen in your honeys. So it is a natural component of honey. It's only about one percent of honey is actually pollen when you you actually mm-hmm. analyze a sample of honey, but it is there. And they do talk about when you consume small amounts, you start to desensitize your system. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised, and that's wonderful that he was able to get through those allergies mm, by small. eating your your mm. honey. But personally, I don't consume pollen as an additional topping to any of my dishes. Although, like you said, it is quite trendy. It's being promoted as a superfood, and they'll see it quite often sprinkled on the tops of granola cereals. It'll be mixed through smoothies. It'll be put on yogurts. So it is quite trendy, but I, I do caution people to to think about what they're consuming and just be careful there when you start to eat pollen. That also brings us to that very important quiz question because bees are vegetarian and where do they get their protein from? You tell me, Patrice. (laughs) You've been listening. (laughs) They get it from their pollen. So stealing pollen from a beehive, you'd want to be very careful that you haven't somehow disturbed the health of the hive. You don't want to take too much. Mm. Estimates are they need about 40 kilos of pollen a year to sustain their brood. It's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot of pollen. We don't want to be taking too much Mm. from them. One of my favourite pollen uh, stories is sometimes when you're standing at a hive and watching the bees come in with all their different coloured pollens on their legs, uh, sometimes they're huge. The, The pollen blobs are huge and sometimes they're quite small. And if the bee has travelled a long distance, they know they've got to come back. Say they're three kilometres away. They go, oh, I can't put more pollen on. I've got to get home. And so they stop harvesting the pollen because they know they've got a long way home. Somehow their GPS knowledge of weights, I mean, we don't know how they do it exactly, but genius, just genius. And just remember that pollen isn't pure pollen anymore that they're bringing back. They've mixed it with some nectar from the flowers and a bit of their own saliva. They start to ferment that pollen into a bee bread. So it's a very, very special product of the hive. I think one of the most beautiful sights of a hive is when you lift a frame of brood and you've got all these eggs being laid in this beautiful oval shape and all around the side of that frame are rainbow colours of yellows and bright oranges and blues and all beautiful colours. And you just think... That is biodiversity working beautifully. That is a very mixed diet for the bees. And you feel very proud or not that it's got anything to do with us, but that your your bees are likely to go forward very, very well it's when a, you see that. It's the sign we need to see of a healthy beehive. Why all of a sudden there's pollen become such a superfood? There are a lot of claims about the health benefits of pollen. So we know it's extremely important to bees. We know it contains amazing components of protein, fats, vitamins, amino acids. 
So now as human beings, we've now transposed that to, well, if it's that great for the bees, it must be that good for us as well. So this, there is many claims, like I said, about the health benefits for bees, and there's been a lot of science done on animals such as mice and rats, but not so much with humans. So I think the science is still out. I think we're dreaming that it's as good for us as it is for the bees. Meanwhile, we're stealing a protein source from the bees. Okay, quite a lot to think about there. It's been great chat, Danny, as my always. bee buddy. Good to talk. Talk soon. Oh, 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 o